And welcome to Play on K, the Korean drama podcast with Emily and Raquel. And this week we're talking about While You Were Sleeping episodes 5 through 8. Um, can I just say that this is, I can't say definitively because we have a favorite like crime drama show, but this might be the best crime drama, K-drama that I've ever watched, maybe, I don't know. Is it my favorite? I don't know. Is it the best? Yes, it is. Oh, man. That's so hard to say. What does that mean? Okay, so your favorite is the K2. Is the K2. And it's kind of different, because it's like crime drama in a different way. And this is more like lawyers fighting for what's right, whereas that's like one guy who knows martial arts fighting against all these corporate weirdos. Um... So it's hard to categorize them in the same place, I think. But I guess what I mean is it's so well done in what it is. Because I have watched a couple others that are more like While You Were Sleeping, where it deals a lot more with, like, the crime that happens on the streets of Korea, not the crime that... not Blue-collar crime, not white-collar crime. Okay. Um... And it's for sure the best I've ever seen that deals more with the blue-collar crime. That's fair. I see that. This is definitely more like a cop show. Yes. Whereas the K2, I don't even know what to categorize that as. It's just a real good show. It's just a real good show. And uh, he kicks some butt. It's more like a kung fu movie. Yeah. But, like, real, real good. There was a kung, kung fu fight, though, at the, um, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It wasn't even <laughs> kung fu. There was just a fist fight. I don't know why I called it kung fu. Oh, yeah, there was a fist fight. That, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. There's a lot to say. <laughs> We're gonna try and keep it more organized this time around. I don't know if you guys remember last episode, but I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little all over the place, but we did talk about just before the podcast, there's a lot of buildup in this show. There's so many, like, I don't know, big moments, but they have, like, ten little scenes building up to it. So I'll just try and sift through my notes, because I would take notes on every one of those scenes and be like, oh, what's happening? What's she dreaming about? And then 30 minutes later, they'd explain everything, and i I've just got all these mess of notes, yeah, and I'll try and avoid them. And I don't have, like, any, so thank God for <laughs> We average the normal amount of notes. Yeah, hopefully that's what comes out in our podcast when we combine our powers. Um, so we start off by finding out that Hongju is a reporter. That's yeah. what she does for a job. Remember last episode... I think we talked about it in the episode. Maybe we just talked about it amongst ourselves. Either way, Emily and I were totally just putting Hongju on blast. Like, who doesn't work? What's your deal? Just following this guy around. And then we find out she's like a really skilled reporter with a very good reason for why she's not working. Yeah, it's rough. They always... These... 
these dramas always prove us wrong in the worst ways. So hopefully we didn't say it on the podcast. We probably did. But I love when the chief prosecutor is like, oh, Nam Hong Ju, she's so cool. What a great reporter. It's like, oh, it's nice to hear someone respectable build someone up. I feel like it just gives you so much more respect for Hong Ju, who we don't really know much about. Yeah, and I do think they didn't do the greatest job of presenting her character in the first four episodes, so it was exciting to see her character now coming forward, because she's our female lead, and I wanted more from her, and finally we're getting that, and it's really exciting, and I liked how they presented the information. Yeah, so then we're still working on June Mo's case? Yeah, and is that... I didn't even write his name down. Are we? Um, Wait. No, the very... Maybe we're not. <laughs> no, this this episode starts and we're done with the last case. Okay. Um, and we're done with the K-drama. The K-drama is over. Just kidding. The K-drama is over. There's more. That's what I was thinking, but I I read my ro- notes wrong. Her sunbay at work is the reporter who worked on the June Mo case. Yes! I thought that was so cool. It was such a cool tie-in, and I knew he was a reporter, but it also kind of gives you an idea of who he is. I'm interested to see if they develop this character. They don't too much in these these four yeah, episodes. Yeah, he's very two-dimensional so far. Yeah, but he seems like... Like, you always catch him in these moments where he's going above and beyond on, like, a meticulous level to, like, put together shredded documents or something. So I feel like he's got to be some kind of genius. Like, maybe they're presenting some kind of savant here, but they haven't (laughs) quite gotten to the part where he's a savant right now. They just are making him seem a little like a maniac. Yeah. Yeah, they... They show a scene where he's, like, counting the people who are in attendance at some big event. And then later, at Hongju's restaurant, they're playing his newsreel where he's reporting on it. And it's, like, a little bit of vindication where you're like, yeah, he got a report out of it. He found something. But it's not character building. No. There's still nothing to him. And I hope, yeah, I hope that... They come back and give him a little bit more. I expect they will, because key dramas are good at that. And there's just so much time. Yeah. There's just 16 hours of content. <laughs> you gotta all. give him something. Yeah. Um. And then this episode starts out with the um, Jaechon is avoiding Hongju, and I'm like, oh great, because what we really needed was another emotionally constipated male lead. That's what I was hoping for here. (laughs) Um, What a good time. Uh, And it's easy to forget that that's how the episode started, actually, because by the end of these four episodes, he is no longer that person. Thank the Lord. They come so far within these short four episodes. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. I, it just makes my heart warm because there's a point, I think it was episode four, when Hungju's mom asks Jae-chan to like look out for her and 
says it as a favor, and then Jaechan starts acting really warmly toward Hongju. But it feels a lot like, I don't know, guilt or yeah. like it's required of him. Not like he's doing it because he likes her. Right. And it's very uncomfortable. Because nothing is more, yeah, uncomfortable and a little gross than the love interests feeling indebted to each other or, like, guilty about whatever the relationship is. It's just not a good uh, foundation for a good romance, I don't think. Um, But they turn it around. They did so smoothly. Yeah. That's, oh. I'm so proud of them. Because, yeah, by episode 8, they're on such good terms. I am so untrusting of K-dramas. Like, it gives me anxiety, but also this deep warmth that I'm happy, but I'm waiting for it to end. Yep, because... Or something to go wrong. Because it's only episode 8. That means that we are halfway through, and something is bound... Like, that mic is bound to drop at some point, and we'll all go... Oh, shit. But if she didn't leave him for Wutok's abs, like, that's a big test. What that's the what? That's a big test of love. Oh, my God. What are we supposed to do with that? I'm not even, I hate being that person, but also, like, what the what, Wutok? Who are you? What are they feeding you <laughs> at the police academy? Like, we all thought he was this baby-faced regular man. Just not, not like he was bad looking. No, we all loved him. I we love were Team Wutok. <laughs> but like, what? Yeah, I uh, I'm still processing that part, and I loved her reaction because I feel like she was all of us. Because Jay Chan was trying to cover him up, trying to preserve his modesty, <laughs> and she was doing the the double take like let me get a look and i was a little <laughs> bit like i was doing the double take i was like what yeah what's up yo oh who is riggedy ripped yeah and that came out of nowhere <laughs> yeah uh he is the batman is what i'm actually thinking Whoa. at this point i think he's the batman he okay well riddle solved we understand. Just leave a comment. We'll try not to talk about this anymore because yeah. we don't need to objectify him the entire episode. It but definitely uh, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> let us know if you felt the same surprise and shock. Yeah. Um. We'll move on to I. I. Uh, I like to jump in and out of the same topic because jumping back into uh, the whole crime-based show uh, aspect of it. Jumping out of the romance. Um, There's something that they do a lot in episode 5 that I think is such a cool presentation of characters, which is they use court cases to display the different prosecutor dispositions. Yes! And it's really good. It's so well done. Yeah. And And so this one, they're talking about a case where... Is it the one where the child is put in a coma? Yes, from a drunk driving okay. accident. Okay. And that's... Uh, I don't remember that coming to fruition. I thought it would be a bigger thing. 
but I don't really remember what happens with it. Um, I think what happens is, um, you know, now I don't remember how it ends either. I think that they never really, if I remember correctly, listeners, you can call us out, if I remember correctly, they never come to an actual agreement on it, but what does happen is Jay Chong comes to his own decision on it, and it is very, it's very character building for him as well, because he decides how he's going to act as a prosecutor in that time, and how he is going to utilize the law, I guess, because there were two ways of looking at it, and he chose what way he was going to look at it, and it's definitely, like, the more pure like, hero prosecutor way, but it's really cool, because in the first four episodes, you can tell he's on shaky ground with who he's going to be as a prosecutor, and it's these episodes where he starts to decide, like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to use the law in a good way. Yeah, and it's, like you said, it's very character building, but I forgot until just this moment that they never really, um end that case. Yeah. And maybe that's just, I don't know, to not ruin the K-drama, to be like, you know, it doesn't really matter which way it goes, because you'll be very sad if the man doesn't get prosecuted and, like, doesn't get anything that happens to him. But you'll also be like, is it, is it reality that someone would go to jail for being a passenger in a drunk driving accident? Like, I don't know. There would be too many questions brought up if they finished it. So maybe they were just like, it's fine. We've got all these nice scenes out of it, all these character-building moments, and we're done. So we're going to use the rest of our time to start a murder plot. Yeah. I guess that's why I was surprised that I forgot about this other, this drunk driving case, because they seem to linger on cases for so long. Like the um, June Mo's case was four episodes, and then this serial killer case was three, two episodes? Yeah, it's like two. Yeah, I think it's two. Mm. Which is not very many. Yeah, but it's a long time. It feels like a long case. Probably because it's the most terrible, it starts off with the most terrible feeling in the world, and it is at the end of this episode, five being this, um, Jaychan says something very meaningful. I didn't catch any of it, because I could not look at the screen, because there were dead kittens all over the screen. Yeah. So, some stuff happens. (laughs) and uh if you read the subtitles you'll know i didn't write it down i just wrote chicken guy is a kitten murderer yeah that was my last note um i because my first note in episode six is opening on the rmf and the kitten killer and i'm like oh what a good open (laughs) solid i don't know what he says but i did write down that the end of episode five was Jay Chan walking Hongju to work. Oh, and ruining his tie. And 
ruining his tie. Okay, like, this is a dumb sidetrack, but I hate that. Yeah. There's also, two ties that she puts her makeup all over. Also, like, that tie in the first, like, the first tie that she murders with her dumb makeup is probably the most beautiful tie. I don't know if you noticed, but they were both wearing black suits in that scene. She was wearing, like, a really, really beautiful, sleek black suit. So was he. And then she was wearing, like, a camel-colored, like a... Or, like, a soft beige, I don't know, some color. Um, and <laughs> his tie matched her coat. And oh, wow. And it was so striking. And it looked so good. And then she wiped her dumb face on it. I'm mad at that. I told Raquel, me and Jason went to Tokyo Disney a few weeks ago. And we wanted a nice Disneyland tie. And they were about $54. And I did not know that ties cost that much. But I'm assuming his was a lot more than $54. Yeah. And she just ruined it. It's like taking a very, very nice sweater and being like, let me mop my spaghetti face with this. Like, it's dead. <laughs> you don't come back from- You can't get it out. Yeah. You don't get mascara out of a tie. Like, it's dead. It's dead. And, oh, there's no love that is more important than a tie. That's all I have to say. Well, to me, it's like, it's like this. You can make a case that it was very gentlemanly of him to let her do that, or like how she was trying to start this new job, so it was a big deal. But this is why it gets to me. Your makeup is so unbelievably temporary and can be fixed with, what do you know, a tissue from the bathroom. And then that night, you're gonna wash it off anyway. So it's like... Why did you think that your face in that moment was more important than at least a $50 tie? I don't know. Never forget. I don't know the logic. (laughs) But I don't know. I I feel like we should be clear at this point. We did grow to like Hongju a lot more in these next four episodes than we did in the first four. Just going to put that out there for now. She's super rad, and I think that she's an awesome female lead. I just have some problems with her decision-making skills. (laughs) Especially in the moment. On the fly, she's not not always great. No, she doesn't work well under stress. That's okay. Um, So yeah, um, episode six, like you said, starts out with RMF and... Chicken guy, who we discover is named Dehi, Kong Dehi, and Dehi admits to murdering his brother. Very cold. I think, yeah, I think that's like one of those drawn out scenes that we were talking about that over the course of like three or four flashbacks to that same scene where they're sitting down together, he says he actually murdered his brother. Yeah. Straight up. He doesn't mind. Yeah, it's a... Yeah. It's a lot, because they do try and build him as just, like, your everyday dude who's sad over the loss of his brother. So well played. Well built. Oh, I love that actor, so I was into it. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if he did it or not. It seems like he couldn't have, right? He's got such a sweet face. He's got such a good face, and then all of a sudden he turns around, and he's got that stone-cold face. Yeah. Oh, what a 
What a good actor. So He's got good expressions. Um, something that shocked me that comes out later in the episode surrounding him. 100 cats. Wow. He That's murdered, so many cats. He murdered 100 cats. A moment of silence for the cats. Holy cats. Batman. Holy cat. Um, and then he moved on to his little brother, who seems like a nice guy. A nice young man. I like his sister. Yeah. Jay-chan, early in the episode, has a dream where there's a news report, and he's cuddling up with Hongju, which is a super cute scene. And they're watching Hongju's news report, where she reports that he killed both his siblings, which... If you miss it, you always feel so, like, detective and exciting when you notice that stuff. And you're like, wait, didn't you only kill his brother? They just said he killed both of the siblings. Wait, what was that? Was that a thing? And then, like, the next scene, they break it apart. And Jay-chan asks every single person, did he kill both siblings? No? Just his brother? Okay, maybe I should protect his sister. And you're like, okay, I'm not a detective. You explained it for all the people in the back. Thank like we, you. We definitely picked up on it by this point. Yep. <laughs> We're all together now. But, yeah, he he riddles out that there's a sister, and it's Coffee Girl. Most of my notes just call them Chicken Guy and Coffee Girl. I don't think I wrote down Coffee Girl's name. I certainly didn't. It's lost. It's gone now because I don't know that she's going to come back too often by this point. Yeah, I feel like she appears because she's in the coffee shop that they always go to. And I think her name is Chohi. Chohi? We'll go with that. sounds a lot like coffee. Ah, let's just call her coffee. (laughs) Yeah, we'll call her coffee just in case it's not her name at all. And... Yeah, uh, next two episodes kind of revolve a lot around the storyline of Chicken Guy and Coffee Girl, which is fine. But um, we can skip around while that's going on. Yeah. Other not as important things. Because there are some pretty cool things. One of the notes that I wrote down about the episode that just really stuck with me as such a rad thing is that... There's a whole moment where Prosecutor Shen is talking to RMF, um, which I'm always, like, little baby sidetrack right here, I'm always going to call him RMF, because I hate how his voice, or how his name sounds in my stupid accent. Like, I just say it really poorly. (laughs) So I'm always going to call him RMF. Um... But anyway, uh, they're talking outside the courtroom, and you find out that one of... There's two judges that are female and one that's male, and the RMF really embarrasses himself in that moment. And I was so into it because of the way it was all presented. It was so... I don't know. Like, there was just this moment where they're like, Huh, if it's unfair that there are two female judges, wouldn't it be even more unfair if all three of them were male? So maybe you can shut your face, because (laughs) these women know how to do their jobs correctly, independently of 
their gender just the same as men do. Because he was like, oh, they're going to go with the female prosecutor. And it's like, you're a baby. You're a giant dumb baby. He is a giant dumb baby. And apparently he's a sexist dumb baby. And I love that he puts his foot in his mouth. And the judge overhears it. And so slyly and coolly is like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, I, I, I'm your judge today. Welcome to the courthouse. But also, you can put your foot in your mouth by the coffee machine, and I'm still going to judge fairly because that's my job, yeah. you stupid child. <laughs> just feels so good. Just feels so good. There's also just a short scene where RMF gets out of his car and he has a green umbrella. And as we all know, because they explained it pretty thoroughly, Hongju's nightmare where she's dead in the mountains. There's someone with a green umbrella. And we don't know that it's um, RMF, but yeah. like, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because he's a terrible person. The only other thing I could think is they're really twisted now, and it's like, Someone we would never see coming. Like, coffee. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that to be, like, a whole episode where you see the umbrella getting left at work, and then someone else taking it home, and then leaving it on the subway, and then someone else picking it up, and me just getting more and more anxious about this stupid green umbrella. Yeah, because it just feels like a K-drama thing to do, where they would decide... <laughs> To make it so ambiguous who it's going to be, even though they pretty much tried to spell it out and say it's going to be this person. Okay, so jumping back into the crime storyline, which I know I said I was going to put to the side for a second, but I'm done with that. We're coming <laughs> back to it. The end of episode six is they're in the chicken shop and a coffee girl is confronting Chicken Guy. And I thought that was so cool, because she was like, I believed you up until they played the black box. And both of them were your voice. I was like, look at this little detective. First of all, I know it's her brother. Like, I get that it wouldn't be hard. <laughs> if my brother was doing a fake voice, I'm pretty sure I'd be able to tell. Yeah. But, like, she was the only one who could tell. So that was why it was so cool, because... Nobody else could have proven that. It was all on her. And she did it. She came through for us. She gave us a clue. And then she made the very poor choice of confronting him alone in a coffee shop. In a dark shop. Why? Like, I just don't understand why, why writers of K-dramas are insistent that these people must put themselves in extremely dangerous situations. It was a very flashback moment to me when in Goblin, um, Untak decides to talk to a murderer on a rooftop. <laughs> yes. Why? I don't understand uh, it. Yeah. And so then they're talking in the dark and Wutak walks Hongju home, and Hongju decides to stop by the shop to just scope things out. I can't remember if she 
had a dream or whatever. They were talking about feeding cats, and she was like, wait, I know a oh, okay. guy who feeds cats. Let me show you where his restaurant is. Yeah, and then they can okay, see him. thanks, Yeah. You're welcome. And yeah, they can see, see him in the I restaurant. See, I couldn't see them. They were standing there looking so dumb, so I thought they were just like, oh, it's dark. We can leave. Yeah, nothing in here. And I thought... I thought Coffee Girl was going to die for sure. Yeah, I kind of wasn't sure she was going to survive that one. And then Wutok gives freaking Hongju one job. He just says, <laughs> call the police if something goes wrong. And so she was like, okay, go on in. And so on he, in. he does. Ugh. And, like... And everything goes south, and nobody calls the police. Yeah, I think she, like, dials it and then drops the phone. I think what's craziest to me, everyone is in there, is in the restaurant at some point, and I'm pretty sure Wutok either just got stabbed. No, he did. He just barely got stabbed. They're all standing there, and Coffee and Wutok are just kind of... Or, excuse me, Coffee and Hongju are just kind of, like... Oh no, someone got stabbed. Let's have a staring contest. <laughs> Everyone's just standing still. And I'm just I'm, waiting for something. I just, I can't even compose myself right now. Because I couldn't find it in me to care about anything other than the fact that Wutok was stabbed. I just wrote, and then I died. And then so I, I think that's where I was at. <laughs> and then we all died. Then we all died. It wasn't just, like, stab and down. It's, like, the murderer was stepping on the wound. Oh, and, oh that was hard to watch. And Wutok was bleeding out, and it was just like, well, they just wrote out the best part of the show, so I guess it's over. <laughs> We're not watching this show if Wutok dies. Yep. And We're done. It's just, it is, it's a lot to handle, especially because it, for some reason the episode keeps going. Yeah. They, uh, but just a little while longer, because then it's the cliffhanger, and then you're just supposed to jump back in, which I texted Raquel at that point and was like, okay, we're watching episode seven together, because six was crazy. We need this moral support. <laughs> We need to be together at this hard time. <laughs> we live in very different time zones, so it's very hard to watch together, but we needed it. Yeah. It was important because if we had lost Wutok, then we needed each other to get through it. I'm pretty sure if we had watched it alone and Wutok had died, both of us probably would have just turned off the episode and been like, okay, <laughs> well, sorry listeners of the podcast. That's There's it. no point. There's no point. Who's who's gonna take care of Robin? I couldn't have I couldn't have watched that show anymore. Oh, this show because I'm still watching it because Wu talks fine. Yes. They actually um like he recovers fairly quickly. They kind of jump through his recovery and they're like, you know, he's a tough kid. He's a tough as you cookie. can see. Oh. Here's his abs. Here's his abs. Did you see that? He actually. The knife didn't penetrate past <laughs> the thin layer of skin in actuality because his ra his abs are so rock hard that it's like a bulletproof vest down there. They're actual abs of steel. <laughs> He's fine. He's fine. And you 
they start episode seven by showing that Jay Chan had a dream about Hong Ju being in trouble and actually asked Wu Tak to like be with her on that night. So everyone's gonna feel guilty about Wu Tak being stabbed. Poor guy. Yeah. Poor kid. Can't guy. catch a break. And they do, they feel properly guilty in almost like a really useless kind of way until <laughs> freaking Wu Tak, who is literally the best person ever. Um, decides to relieve them of their worries. He's like, well, just take care of me. And it's super extra. He's so extra for this whole episode, and it's awesome. I can't even it's be so mad. so good. <laughs> but real quick, let's talk about what happens in the chicken shop, because it's so confusing to me that two cops show up, um, Wu Tak's girlfriend, who's not his girlfriend, someday will be, and his partner, who I thought were like just patrol police, they show up first. They're first which, on which the scene. Which is odd enough. And then Jay Chan and the investigator and three random dudes show up. That were just in the car, and it was like, are these just, <laughs> They're just driving along? Dudes for hire. Like you found them on the street, and you're like, get in, we're gonna go solve a murder. You guys are super buff. But then, it doesn't matter that anyone was there, because the police are like, we're gonna take care of Wutok, you guys go get the bad guy. So odd. We're police, we only take care of our own. <laughs> and then, the I don't know, It I guess what I meant was it doesn't matter that they brought three extra dudes with them, because nobody can keep up. With Jaychan on the stairs, yeah, he takes, everyone gets left behind anyways. He takes one full staircase at a time. So. <laughs> That's how everybody acts, at least. <laughs> I love the jokes about his long legs, because I've never thought that he was outstandingly tall or had outstandingly long legs until this show. Right. But they're like, you're a freaking crab? You are an ostrich man. <laughs> I don't. He's some the kind names of keep coming. Yeah. Oh man, I just love when um, K dramas also both low key and high key make fun of these really beautiful people, <laughs> like these really beautiful actors, and they're like, "Let's not come down a notch. You are literally an ostrich right now. <laughs> you have to be the tallest person alive." I looked it up. He's six foot one, That's which I didn't tall. feel was that impressive. I think it's pretty tall. I think, so my brother is like the tallest person I've ever known. That's not true. There's taller people. But uh, he's he's a <laughs> tall dude, and I think he's six one. Dang. I don't know. I guess maybe that's the difference is I only know Jason, my husband, who's 5'11", and I was like, I don't know. He's not that tall. Maybe those two <laughs> inches. I like, wow, like, whoa, what a difference. Huge difference. Um, Jason's, like, got a really long torso, so that's fair. maybe it just, like, it's that proportions thing where, like, all of Jaechan's, all of, uh... Lee Jung-suk? Yeah, Lee Jung-suk's uh, height is in his legs. That's fair. He's just got those long legs. Those long, long legs. So he jumps up the stairs. 
and nobody can keep up with him, and that's when the fight happens. Yeah, and the fist fight. Yeah, the little, little fist fight, and that's kind of all I had to say about it. I felt like I built up this woman a lot more at the beginning of the episode when I was like, there will be words. <laughs> but I just didn't understand why the police were like, you take care of the bad guy, we'll be the EMTs. Yeah, because even at the end of the last episode, it's Jaychan standing there with a piece of paper showing you're <laughs> under arrest. And I'm kind of like, I get it, like you're part of the law, but you're not a cop. Go sit down. I <laughs> I love what you said when we were watching it, where you were like, he brought a piece of paper to a knife fight. <laughs> yeah, because okay. it's like the least good thing to do to like run in. There's a murderer on the scene. You're obviously not a cop. You walk up to our rooftop and you're like, here's a piece of paper. Listen to me. And it's like, oh, you're about to get messed up. Yeah, I don't... I- None of it makes sense. It's all very K-drama at this point. Yeah. But, I guess, um, like, thank they get into for, a nice little fight. Yeah. That's cool. Thank God for Investigator Choi, who comes in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> He's so good. He's. We're going to make a new award, the Investigator Award, because... He's shaping up to be my favorite character in this whole drama. Same. It can be uh, the award for anyone who actually does a good job at their job, and also just a good job in general. (laughs) He's all over the place with just being an interesting, funny, but very capable character. And I love it. I love him. I love you, Investigator Troy. (laughs) Um, and then we, I don't know, I guess in my notes, I jumped to, back to the prosecution office, where everybody's like, um, can we stop letting murderers go? And prosecutor Shin is being such a brat. She is, she's kind of a psycho baby. This whole episode, I don't understand her and this is one of those times where it jumps back later and you're like oh eating my words good job but why why in front of everybody is she like i want to save face by being just the rudest like i don't know never back down dogmatic person i don't why I make that choice. Yeah, she uh, she does not put herself in a very good light because there's something to be said for being humble in the face of adversity and just being like, yeah, I super messed up and mm-hmm. it wasn't just me, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to apologize for the part I played. Yeah. Because everyone else did that. Everyone else was like, we played a part in this. And she was like, I played no part in this. And it's just like, okay, but you did. But you did. And that's fine. You all made mistakes. Ugh. And it's so weird. She's just being a little brat. Yeah. But the bespectacled prosecutor is, like, a super good person. Um, And even though, even in the face of her... Grabbing hold of him and tossing him right under that bus. He still <laughs> is so nice to her. Yeah, when he finds her crying later. Oh, 
He's so nice. Yep, he's a good man. He seems nice. I like how the four of them are shaping up. The four other... There's the chief and then the assistant chief. Is that her title? I guess. I really like her. Whatever she is. I really like her. I really like her. She seems good. And the bespectacled prosecutor and Prochin. Yep. Someday we'll learn any of their names. Someday. It, it's been like a force of will to be sure to, because after you said we can't call Wutok Batman for a while, I referred to him in my notes as not Batman, which is not Batman. <laughs> yeah, that's not helpful at all. No. I finally wrote down Batman's partner's name because I thought that would be important to remember. It's not. I just, I just really like him. There's a point where Wutok wakes up and his partner like rushes into his room and he's like, oh, you're awake, my boy, my, <laughs> my best <son>. buddy, <laughs> my son, my pal. And just the way, I think there's a couple scenes within these episodes where his partner just talks about him in the highest regard. And it's real heartwarming when people talk good about other characters behind their back. Yeah, like, we're not cutthroat here. We care about each other. And that guy's smart, and he's good at his job, and he's very handsome. And it's just like, (laughs) oh, only two of those things actually relate to what was going on, but you are so sweet. You are too sweet. I'm just so glad that you love Wutak as much as the rest of us do. Someone's got to take care of him. Actually, everyone does. This whole episode, everyone takes good, good care of him. That's true. And is it... Episode 8, that Wutok really shines? Yeah, he becomes the world's best lawyer in episode 8. Yes! Okay, so episode 7 ends with that weird scene with his old roommate. Like, breaking into their house, hanging out with Robin for a hot minute. Yeah, and then... And then threatening him. Yeah, can we talk about how Wutok is the least corrupt cop like the least corrupt person because in the face of the threat i will reveal all your secrets he pulls out a resignation letter and is like i will resign you still need to do the right thing yes and then there's a flashback to the scene later where he's like i don't believe you right now but if you committed murder then you should run like just get on the lamb and get out of here. Like, I won't say anything. This will be and it. If you did not commit murder, prove it to me by going to the police and believing in the justice of the law. Wootok, how do you always know what to do? You're like a sage old grandma in a Disney movie. For reals. Oh, I hope he's not, though, because I fear for him every day. <laughs> See, old grandmas always die. That's true. He'll be okay. I think he'll be okay. He's got to marry the police girl. Oh, yes, and they'll raise their beautiful son, Robin. (laughs) That's the perfect ending. That's the only ending we can hope for him. But anyways, so it ends with that, and then episode eight is the trial of Wutok's friend, which is... 
kind of an emotional roller coaster. I feel like I'm way too attached to Wutok to be to have been prepared for this episode. Right? Because he uh I mean at it got to a point where it's better for everyone if this guy is guilty, and I'm still so attached to Wutok that I was just, I don't know, I got to the point where I was like, I trust whatever he says. He's the purest. There's no one yes. more pure. He seems to believe this guy, so you all have to believe this guy. And Jaychan and Wutok work some magic, and... They just, they bend the system, and I think it's so, so good. It's beautifully done as well, because it takes, it takes a, an idea of, like, prosecution and indictment, and we saw it on the other side of things when they were trying to get the indictment, but couldn't quite, and then this is, like, a really easy indictment, but, um... They feel like there's not enough evidence to actually prove it, so much as, like, people just were out for blood. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool to see the reverse side, where it's innocent until proven guilty type situation, and it's better to let... Well, this is more of a philosophy. It's better to let a guilty man walk than it is to put an innocent man in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was, like, a really cool concept to play with, and the way they proved that there was no way to prove that he was guilty, definitively, with the evidence given, was really cool. I loved how they did that. They did it so well, and they got all the other prosecutors on board. They like, they went above board, and I really like that about this show. Or they're not like, the law system's broken, and we need to go outside of the, the law to solve these problems. Where I feel like a lot of the show, a lot of, like, crime dramas do that, and they do that really well. But I appreciate that this one's like, let's go even more above board. Where we talks like, turn yourself into the police, or, like, into over to the hands of the law. And the law will take care of you. And then Jay Chan's like, I can't convince my superiors just by talking to them. So I'll show them everything that I know. And I'm going to show every single person around me what's going on to make sure that it doesn't seem like Jay Chan and Wu Tak are like friends and they're just sneaking around trying to get another friend out of prison. Yeah. Like, it's all so above board. That I'm so into it. I know, it's beautiful. I don't feel dirty at the end yes. of it. I'm like, this is good. The law is a good thing. Which is, I feel like often law and crime shows make me feel the opposite, where I'm like, I can't trust anyone. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then there's the other side, where you, you, again, feel like you can't trust anybody. Typical law show feelings. Where um, RMF is trying to sue on behalf of the family. He's trying to sue the defendant on behalf of the family. And Hungju goes in for an interview. And he's like, you know, everybody's going to hate Jay Chan. 
if he doesn't indict this person. So here's what you can do to help indict. And like, oh, I thought he was going to turn her so hard. Like, at first you're like, no, she ain't going to fall for that. And then he keeps talking and you're like, this is such a good plan. This is so well thought out. If she does all these things, that she's going to save Jay Chan. Like, like she's you doing can it. basically die without her. Yeah, like, and she's doing it for him and she's doing it for the law. Like, it, he makes yes. it sound like a good idea. Not just like a good plan, but like a, a good plan from a good person. Yes. Oh, I was fooled. I don't know what I would have done. I'm so glad I'm not her, because she... I was convinced this whole episode that she was going to do whatever U-Bomb told her to, and I was so scared. And she didn't, and I'm so proud. But since victories can't live long in this show, she does the right thing. She goes, trusts the law, and does not publish an article about the old roommate and then her sweet sweet dream changes to a nightmare holy cow so she had that sweet dream where and my note is um i just thought it was really funny because it's proposal dream question mark probably not in the sense that it it started out too sweet and i was like yeah in the dream he's proposing but i feel like that happiness can't last for long we're in episode (laughs) eight (laughs) Um, I thought it was a promise ring oh yeah that's sweet I guess as sweet as promise rings can be I think why am I I don't know romantic romantic I hear the words promise ring and I'm like okay if your significant other gave you a promise ring that is so sweet guys I'll shut up that's super sweet and I want to know if any listener knows how promise rings are perceived in Korea, because I feel like I see them on dramas a lot, and I'm wondering if they're more popular, where in America... It's what and, 17-year-olds give to each yeah, other. Like, it's really a, not a promise. It's very temporary. It's very... It's like what you give to someone um, in place of an engagement ring... Because you can't actually marry them, and then you grow up and you realize you weren't supposed to marry them. Yeah. This is so mean. I said I'd shut up, and then I said the mean thing. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So, anyone let us know about Promise Ring culture, because we don't know anything about them. They seem a little odd, but they seem like a big commitment when 30-year-old Jay Chan buys one. And gives it to Hongju. Yeah. So it's and, it's a big deal. And then he gets stabbed in this in the darker timeline of the dream. And my note on that is something that I do want to get into. But really quick, last thing about that case with the guy who may or may not yeah. have murdered, but probably didn't. Um, they found out, like they didn't find out, but it shows you what drew. Oh my gosh! And I was a little mad. I was a little I bit was like, so mad. How convenient that the Roomba drew a crazy symbol in blood and then, like, popped right out the window. Also, wouldn't the blood trail lead off the end of the balcony? And then perhaps someone should have investigated what that was about. Yeah, even. 
even though they, like, I don't know, tied up that loose end by being like, and a child picked up the Roomba and recycled it, which I was like, no, no. <laughs> okay, I know Korea is probably super clean, but if a child found this big, like, electronic toy on the ground, they wouldn't be like, I'm going to be a good person and recycle. And They'd then go like, play with my ball. Is- yeah, this is either garbage, and I'm not going to touch it because I don't touch garbage, or this is mine now, and I'm going to take it to my parents and be like, hey, I found this on the ground. This is a toy. Can I have it? <laughs> I don't know. Clearly, I don't have children, but that's my image. Yeah. I'm just mad that he's like, I am uh, the righteous angel seven-year-old that knows that this belongs in the recyclables. <laughs> uh Are you kidding me? What was that? So I can't deal with that, so I won't. We'll jump back into what we were talking about, because I'm pretty sure no one almost dies as often as these weird psychics do. Like, get them out of (laughs) Korea, get them away from each other, because they're going to- there have been so many deaths that they've prevented at this point, leading back to, which we- didn't really touch on, but we can for a moment. The fact that she saves his life. Did we touch on that when they were kids? Um, no. Oh, man, I skipped that whole storyline. <laughs> so we can talk about both of them, because both of them involve these psychics dying, and I almost feel like this is like the butterfly effect, where they're just better off not knowing each other. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um... That's how the butterfly effect ends. Um, (laughs) It's been out for, like, 15 years. If you haven't seen it, you're not gonna watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I'm not gonna watch it. Yeah, so... I just feel like at this point, I don't know if they should even be together, because them being together is, like, the thing that keeps causing them to have to save each other from death. At this point, it seems like Hongju only dreams about Jaechan. Like, she is the one that's like, I dream about everybody and anybody and have lots of dreams. But she's like, always knows when he's going to buy coffee in the morning and what bus he's going to take and what he does at home. So I'm like, it seems like you only dream about him. Yeah. But a lot of your dreams seem to be him in danger. And his dreams are about you in danger. And Mutok's dreams are... About him I, in danger. <laughs> about both of you in danger? I don't really know. Wutok had, like, puzzled it out, and it made sense. Oh my gosh! I was so mad at that scene. Yeah. Episode 5, I felt nothing but utter joy at him being like, I've solved the riddle. I know why we're all connected, and why we're having dreams, and what we're dreaming about is so rational. And Jaechan is like, Nope, it was a boy that saved me. And I was like, shut your stupid mouth, Jaechan, you know nothing. You're an idiot. Wutok is brilliant and you're an idiot. <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound like that, but it did. And I'm fine <laughs> with it. Because Jaechan said the stupidest thing. I was just so excited. Because I hadn't solved that mystery at all. I didn't know. And I guess we didn't know until episode 8 that... Um, Hangju actually saved Jaechan when they were kids. So, like, there wasn't a way that we could have solved the mystery. But I was like, that's why the three of them are having dreams about each other. 
that's so cool. Thank you so much, Wu-Tak. And Jay-Chan was like, nah, I don't buy it. <laughs> and now, I got righteous mad. And now Wu-Tak won't know anymore what's going on because he, he had it. He had it all. And I'm not saying it helps. Like, they're still having dreams about each other. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. These psychics and their death dreams. These psychics and their death dreams. But it made so much sense. And yeah, then it was kind of more explained in episode eight, which is crazy. And I have a stupid amount of notes because there were so many scenes building up to the moment that actually mattered. Where at the funeral, baby Hongju and baby Jaechan found out that that real nice cop that gave Jaechan some good advice was the brother of the man who killed both their fathers. And he, the cop drives away, and they're like, we have more to say to him. So they follow him, and then they follow him to a lake, and he just walks in. This is a mystery to me. I feel like this has happened a few times on K-dramas, where people just walk into a lake and, like, try to drown themselves. I thought that was impossible. Just in my mind. Yeah, like, typically you're gonna... Your fight for survival instinct will kick in and you'll swim to the top. I don't think it's impossible in some situations. Like, if they're jumping off a bridge, I think the impact would, like, knock them out. So that's pretty... It's pretty yeah. safe to say that'll kill you. This particular situation, I don't think it would work. Unless he, like, put on a backpack full of rocks. Yeah, or, like, weights on your ankles, I thought. Yeah. But he just, like, dips his head under. And I thought you would... For one thing, I'm pretty sure people float. Yes. That's a thing. You Where's float. he just sank? He sank into the deepest abyss of a lake that I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, that lake is too deep. Lucky okay. for him, Jaechan is an accomplished swimmer, because he decides he's going to save him. Yes, and he gets there, and we all just scream at Hongju as she sits and does nothing? Yeah, what is her deal? Like, I know she was a kid, and I know she was angry, and I know more than anything that it was just writers building suspense we didn't need, because we know, like, they're both alive. <laughs> Obviously, she saved them. And it was it was really artfully done, where it was very tied into the present of, like, do you let someone die who didn't do anything wrong just because it would feel good to convince yourself that they did something wrong, and by dying, they're atoning for it. It's a... It's a good little moral dilemma that you see her struggling with. But you know she's going to save them, so, like, stop. And that dude, the cop, has been under the water for a good five minutes now as you guys have talked. So get in there and pull the rope. Yeah. It's, oh, God. I just was so mad. Like, I know you're a kid, but you're not... I feel like you have morals, like you're not just going to let these people die. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And then I guess Jaechan never figures out that she's a girl, and that's fine. Yeah. But 
But yeah, that was a big storyline that happened yeah. that I was going to skip right over. The other storyline, and then this is where we're at. This is where we're at. This is where we're at, where he's going to give her a promise ring or maybe an engagement ring. I don't know. And he's about to cross the street and gets stibby stab rude. Oh, right in the right in the not abs of steel. <laughs> Should write you abs of steel. <laughs> We're probably gonna get to see his abs now. If he actually does get stabbed, I guess. Yeah. We'll Hope see. he doesn't. I'm sure she'll find some way to prevent it. Um or I don't know, not the the show does somehow keep surprising me, despite the fact that I'm like, I don't know, they're psychics. I'm pretty sure they'll figure things out. Yes, but there was the whole storyline with Coffee Girl getting set on fire that it didn't seem like was going to happen with um, Hungju, like, races to the college to stop the fire. And when she gets there, it doesn't seem like the fire is going to happen. Like, in my mind. I was like, um, you didn't need to spray everybody with a fire extinguisher. They, I don't think anything was going to happen. Um, and then they run and like everybody's dreams start going wonky because apparently they all had dreams about this scenario. And it's just like, all of their dreams were wrong because they all tried to intervene with this this scenario and it's just getting so confusing yeah it's and i love it convoluted i think it's really well done still so i'm into it but there's a lot there's a lot of uh of dream sequencing that's very hard to figure out (sighs) here we go here we go we're we're in it now i guess we're here but should we have come (laughs) <laughs> just kidding I love this K-drama yeah I love it I am mad that we watched Goblin and then this one because I feel like we either have to watch a really bad one or just keep going on these this streak of really good ones and then where will we be at by the end of them and we're all out of like high star rating K-dramas to watch and we're like oh no not only do we have to watch a bad one. We can only watch bad ones from here on out. Like, they have to be comically bad. Because if not, they're just going to be disappointingly bad. Like, just okay K-dramas are not good at this point. I can't watch a just okay K-drama. An okay drama. Too conditioned. (laughs) (laughs) An okay drama. Oh. Um, so yeah, if you guys are, if you guys loved this K-drama, like, we are clearly obsessed with it, um, we can all talk about it. You can comment on our audio on our website, it's playonk.com. Or you can email us at playonkpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us, we are at playonk. Or there's one more place, iTunes, please like and subscribe and comment there. We just could, play on K. We could use that. We could use that. And all right, go go watch episodes nine through twelve, and then we'll review them next week. Oh, we're over the hump. We're over the halfway mark. Yep, we're there. I can't wait to see what new crime they decide to stress us out with. 
<laughs> um, thank you, as always, to James Hevel for making our theme song. And that's it. We'll see you all next week. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.